A warm and friendly hello, welcome to lovely Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Eats with myself, Greg Cheers, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Got a great podcast for you. It's in the second segment. Going to be chatting with Blake Lovell. You hear him on a wide variety of different platforms. The Locked On SEC Podcast, the 14 Blue Ribbon Yearbook. He checks CBB. You've also got him doing work over there with the Clutch Point Sports app. And we are going to be talking with him about the Marching to Bandits podcast that he does because his co-host, unfortunately, is in a little bit of rough shape after a car accident because that is an absolutely terrific podcast. So we're going to be talking about that. But beyond that, we're going to be looking at everything that we wound up seeing from the SEC over the weekend, how it's a very jumbled up mess in the middle of the SEC. And then he, every single year, for the Blue Ribbon Yearbook, always takes a look at the Ryzen League, and we've got a lot of Ryzen League action this Sunday, so we're going to be chatting with him about that, and then in the final segment, going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this College Basketball Sunday as we hit some bank shots. First things first, always love to be able to answer your Twitter questions on this podcast. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, whatever you for this podcast, you have one or two ways to be able to throw those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at JRSQuarty1, keep in mind, letters M. Maybe it does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline and the other ways via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. Them from there, you're able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Did not wind up getting in any Twitter questions today, but we had a jam-packed day of college basketball on Saturday. Officially 149 games, so let's take a look back at it, try to find some trends, and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. It is now back-to-back losses for Marquette as the Golden Eagles wound up going to Butler, and they gave up 85 points to Butler. That is not great. 85-79. to 79. The final for Marquette. I was sensing that there was going to be a little bit of regression here, but I didn't think that they would allow Butler to go 13-28 from three-point range as Butler wound up having everyone on all cylinders in this one. Bo Hodges was able to give you a double-double. Bryce Enzi, who used to play for UW-Milwaukee, actually, 19 points, signed rebounds, and for Marquette, you did have Justin Lewis chip in there, 27 points, but just not enough on this day. And the whole Big East in general was very intriguing. It was very much a... Dog day out there in the Big East as Providence, they get the win, but they needed overtime against a DePaul team that was without Javon Freeman. Liberty, 76-73, the final. Providence, they're now 21-2. and you got to give them all the credit in the world. Are they getting a little lucky? I think even a Providence fan would tell you yes. Al Durham winds going 12-12 of at the free throw line for 16 points. Jared Bynum comes in off the bench for 25 points, 7 boards, and 6 assists, and for DePaul, I mean, yeah, David Jones giving another double-double, 19 points, 10 boards. This is a DePaul team that they're actually much improved, but certainly another intriguing outcome in that one. You wind up having Villanova get the job done straight up, but not against the spread against Seton Hall. 73-67 to the final for the Hall. They go 11-26 of 26 from three-point range. They have been dealing with an injury to Bryce Aiken. He wound up being out of the full once again, but you were able to get 16 points out of a pair of guys in Kadari Richmond, coupled with Trey Jackson, as Villanova has been having most of their guys out there, but you can tell that Colin Gillespie has been dealing with a little bit of an injury as a necessary been 100% himself, did wind up having 10 points. He was able to chip in there for assists as well. And then Justin Moore, he was still able to give you more. 16 points, 7 boards for Villanova, just 8 of 26 from 3-point range, but they were able to get the job done in this one. Creighton, no sweat against Georgetown, 80 to 66 in final. This is just a poop stain of a program when it comes to what we're seeing out of Georgetown right now, but if you're looking at the top 25, 
Didn't necessarily see a bunch of rambunctious upsets, so also keep in mind I'm doing this with USC versus UCLA and St. Mary's versus Gonzaga pending because, well, I have to record this a little bit ahead of time because the Greg Peterson experience is on from 1 to 4 a.m. Pacific time every weekend, but we did wind up seeing... What was on the point spread an upset, but in terms of rankings, not an upset. The Ohio State University hit the road and take down Michigan by a count of 68-57. to 57. In this one for Ohio State, they only went 4 of 11 from 3 point range, but EJ Liddell, 28 points, 5 boards. He goes 11 of 11 at the free throw line for Michigan. They wound up having Hunter Dickinson have a little bit of a pedestrian effort with 14 points, 7 rebounds, and... For Iowa State, just 8 turnovers in this one compared to the 11 of Michigan. And for Michigan, you did wind up having Devontae Jones star in this game. 8 points, 10 boards, 8 assists. But Caleb Houston giving you just 5 points. That was very big. I feel like the team really comes and goes as Houston is able to. You wind up seeing another win but no cover out of a pretty heavily favored team in Tennessee. 73-64. to They were able to get the win but it was a little bit hairy against Vanderbilt. It looked like they were going to run and hide with this game as they were up 16 early on in the second half. But Vanderbilt was able to do a good job of being able to lessen the deficit as he did wind up having Scottie Pippen Jr. chip in their 23 points. And for Tennessee, we're going to be talking about this a little bit more in the second segment with Blake Lovell. They went 7-22 from three-point range, 22-31 of 31 at the charity stripe, so you can't necessarily trust in this offense too much in the SEC in general. Like I said, we're going to be talking with Blake a little bit more about this conference in the second segment. You wound up seeing Missouri get a win over an Ole Miss team that has actually been rather pesky. Georgia, they just continue to stink. They wind up losing on their home floor to South Carolina by a count of 80-68. to 68. We won't be talking about either of these two teams with Blake because both of these teams, they're not going to be going too far, but for South Carolina, 8 of 20 from three-point range, and for Georgia, 14 turnovers, they get outboarded 41 to 27. That's just absolutely ridiculous. Kentucky just completely bludgeons Florida by a count of 78 to 57. Colin Castleton at 18 points, and the rest of the team just no-showed for Florida. You wound up having Alabama win, but boy... If you want to blame the points, that was brutal as Alabama was up in this game 60-47 to with about 9 minutes left. And then from there, they just were unable to close out this game. So that was very intriguing. And Auburn, they get a win and cover against Texas A&M by a count of 75-58 to as Walker Kessler, another great performance in this one. But you also take a look at what you wound up getting from other Big Ten teams. And Wisconsin winds up going down at home to Rutgers, 73-65. to think we've got to be taking a look at this National Player of the Year hunt a little bit more. It's Johnny Davis. 11 points, 8 boards. He wanted committing 4 turnovers in this game. Didn't look too great. And Wisconsin as a whole, 4 of 19 from 3-point range. Rutgers, they go 16 of 18 at the line. 7 of 12 from 3-point range. They overcome 13 turnovers because they were able to get a big performance. Out of Ron Harper Jr., 21 points, 6 boards. Cliff Amarui was able to chip in their 8 rebounds himself. And then Minnesota who has been very much up and down this year. They get a win and cover against Penn State as they were able to close that game out late. That was very much a up-and-down performance for Minnesota, but you do wind up getting an over in this game as Minnesota, they commit just three turnovers in this contest. They shoot jar near 50% from floor, 50% from three-point range to be able to close out Penn State, so got to give them some credit. Indiana right now just not looking like a good offensive team. They were able to get an over against Michigan State, but that's because they allowed Michigan State to go to the free throw line 28 times, and they went 25-28 at the charity stripe, 76-61 to the final. By the way, if Indiana shoots better at the free throw line because they went 16-27 themselves, perhaps they'd be in this game. Trace Jackson Davis, 
17 points, 5 boards, and Ray Thompson did have 14 rebounds in this one, but boy, that backcourt of Indiana not looking good right now. You know what else is not necessarily looking great right now? That would be Houston, as they have now lost back-to-back games. Memphis, they have now been able to cover three straight games, and they wind up being able to pull this one off, make it four straight covers for Memphis, 69-59. to This is the first time in a while I wound up backing Memphis, and for Memphis, 18 of 19 at the free throw line. DeAndre Williams looks like his old self. 13 points, 4 assists. Landers Nolly was able to chip in their 20 points. He was missing for much of the campaign and for Houston. Free throw shooting has been a wolf for them all season long. They only took 9 attempts, but players not named Kyler Edwards went 0 of 3 at the free throw line, so that was a big giant issue. And for Houston, 19 turnovers. Really, both teams wound up having 19 of them, but that was certainly something that stood out. Murray State, they wound up getting all that they wanted from Moorhead State, but how about the way that they were able to come back in this one? Moorhead State was up by kind of 50-44 to 44 with a little bit over 4 minutes remaining, and for that matter, up 49-42 to 42 with more around 5 minutes remaining, and Murray State able to erase a 9-point deficit in this one, 57-53. They get the job done as K.J. Williams, 21 points, 12 rebounds. G.N.I. Broom was cleaning up 14 points, 4 blocks, 12 rebounds, but really the kryptonite of Morehead State, if they wind up making the NCAA tournament fine and at-large, they had 16 turnovers in this one for Murray State, just 3 of 19 from 3-point range, but they made the winning plays late, and they were able to do a good job on the glass, winning that battle 36-29 to be able to get to the window. You wind up seeing Arizona go on the road and face off against Washington, and they get down 25-11 to early, and then from there, it was just all Arizona's they wind up going on, I believe it was an 81-43 to run to end the game, if my math serves me correct. 91-68, to the final. As Arizona, they go from three-point range, 8 of 20. Azula Sabellis, double-double, 21 points, 10 rebounds for Washington. You wind up having Darrell Brown give you 29 points in this one, but really nobody else wanted coming to the forefront. They wound up having two bench points in this game, so that was relatively brutal. Duke, they get the job done outright, but not against the spread against Boston College. 72-61 the final for Duke. They wind up going 7-21 from three-point range. A.J. Griffin, legitimately his worst game on the road all season long. 10 points, 2 of 7, three-point shooting. And for Boston College, they went just 1 of 12 from distance, but they held in this game because they were able to do a solid job of winning the turnover battle by kind of 13-9. So give them a lot of credit. Duke has been a little bit more careless with the ball recently, but Paulo Boncaro, 16 points. 14 boards to be able to lead the way for the Blue Devils. You wind up seeing a pretty sizable upset out there in the Pac-12 as as a two-touchdown underdog. You wind up having Oregon be able to get the job done outright as they wind up heading to Eugene. They win by kind of 78-64 to without Andre 3000 Kelly as Oregon. 5 of 27 from three-point range. You wind up having Will Richardson chip in their 22 points, but they also wind up losing the battle on the glass. 36-31, 36-31, and that was without Kelly being in the fold for Cal, and Jordan Shepard had himself a game, 33.7 boards, and this is a Cal team that I had a lot of people asking me prior to the season, would they be able to win more than one and a half games out there in the Pac-12 after four Pac-12 wins, so give them a little bit of credit. You wind up having a push in the Colorado versus Utah game, 81-76, to as Utah just completely squandered that game very late. When it comes to ranked teams out there in the Big 12, a few of them wound up having a little bit of a rough go of it. No such rough go of it for Texas Tech. 
They take down TCU by a count of 82-69 to for Texas Tech. They actually did wind up getting down very early in this game as TCU was leading throughout the entirety of the first half. They actually wound up taking at one point a 13-point lead, and then Texas Tech was able to lay it on them from there. You wind up having TCU go 11-27 of from three-point range. Mike Miles was able to return in this game for 16 points, but... Texas Tech, they just need to go 5-9 from three-point range because what they did a very good job of was forcing TCU into 20 turnovers, and that's a big issue that you've got with TCU. Damian Ball, five turnovers once again in this game. Those turnovers are going to be costly for TCU moving forward. Baylor, what was very awesome for the team is being able to overcome LJ Cryer being out because Adam Flagler wound up having 20 points, and they laid on Texas by a count of 80-63 to 63 for this Texas team. The main forte of them has been being able to force a bunch of turnovers. Just 12 for Baylor in this game. James Akinjo played one of his best games of the season. He has been a little bit turnover prone, but 15 points, 7-6, 6 rebounds, and the biggest thing, just two turnovers as Fulthamba had a double-double, 12 points, 11 rebounds. Really the best effort we've seen from Baylor here in conference play. Kansas wound up getting quite a test from Oklahoma. Oklahoma actually led in this game by a count of 57-52 about midway through the second half, and then from there wound up turning into a little bit of defensive slog as Kansas was able to have Christian Braun really go off in this game and be the best player out there on the floor. 18 points, 8 boards, 2 assists. Jalen Wilson got to give him a lot of credit as well. 22 points, 9 boards as for Oklahoma. They lose the rebound battle by kind of 32-26. to 26. For Kansas, they wound up committing in this game just 10 turnovers, so they were able to be very smart with the ball. And for Oklahoma, you did wind up having Tanner Groves go off for 19 points. Jordan Goldwire had 20 himself, but just not a lot of scoring off the bench for Oklahoma that wound up costing them. West Virginia has been rough all season long, and they wind up getting destroyed on Saturday by Oklahoma State by a count of 81-58. to An Oklahoma State team, by the way, that was shooting about 66% of the free throw line, goes 26-34, of 34, and for West Virginia... 12 turnovers, and they get bludgeoned on the glass, 48-24. So they just did not wind up saving a shot when they wind up losing that with that bad of rebounding. For Iowa State, they have really fallen down the tubes as well. For Iowa State, they at one point in this game were up by 10, and they wind up blowing it against Kansas State. If you, like me, wind up backing Iowa State, this was a brutal one as they actually led in this game 13-0. Got spotted a 13-point lead at Kansas State. Gets the job done in overtime by kind of 75 to 69. For Kansas State, it was Mr. Nigel Pack packing it in. 19.6 boards. And for Iowa State, they just have not been able to have a lot of jump shooting. They just have not had a lot of jump shooting all season long. Caleb Grill, 0 of 9 from three-point range off the bench. I will say, Aljaz Kunich, hopefully I said that one correctly. He was really able to start for this Iowa State team. 5 of 9 from three-point range. And that means that guys not named Kunich. Wound up going 3 of 16 from three-point range. And for Kansas State, give them credit for committing just nine turnovers against an Iowa State team that they have really been trying to be able to seek out a lot of those turnovers. You wind up having Wyoming go on the road. They get the job done against San Jose State. They continue to be a cash cow for your bankroll. If you're taking a look at other teams, they've been a cash cow for your bankroll. How about betting against our good friends Morgan State? Morgan State unable to get the job done once again. They wind up losing by 10 to NC Central as pretty much a pick price across the board. They are now 3-12 and against the spread. They are tied with Marshall, who's going to be in action on Sunday. 
for the worst cover rate in all of college basketball. Pacific has been a team that has not been able to cover for you all season long. They wind up finding a way to be able to blow it against San Diego. 60-54 to the final and a 5.5 point spread. San Diego winds up being able to lead this game throughout. They were up double digits in the first half. And then from there, you wind up having Pacific make a comeback. Pacific does just enough to be able to get themselves back in the game but not enough to be able to cover. So that was absolutely glorious. Portland, they wind up being able to lay it on Loyola Marymount. That's a team that I'm going to be looking at moving forward as perhaps being a team that you could profit off of. I'm doing this as the game has just began in the first half, but BYU looking like they're not going to cover against Pepperdine, which that is not necessarily too great. Another team that has not necessarily been too great against the spread, NC State. They fall to 6-20 and 20 against the spread. They go on the road laying a point against Pittsburgh, and they lose by a count of 71-69 to 69 for Pittsburgh. ETL Horton coming back has been big for this team. He winds chipping in there 17 points in this one. You wind up having a massive performance of John Ugly. How about 21 points, 6 assists, 10 rebounds for him. And for NC State, they did wind up getting Jaron Sebron 17 points, 5 boards, but you also wind up having this team not be able to force Pittsburgh into too many turnovers. And Pittsburgh, they just bludgeoned them on the last 45-25. to 25. So that was very intriguing. Virginia, they get a win and cover against Georgia Tech by a count of 63-53. to 53. It's been a long year for Georgia Tech and for Georgia Tech. They wound up having 15 points in the first 19 minutes of the game. So that wound up costing them big time. Wound up seeing a big giant under between Virginia Tech and Syracuse. Syracuse held the 59 points. They lose to Virginia Tech by a count of 71 to 59. It's really been an underachieving ACC all season long. And for Syracuse, it's been very intriguing to take a look at them. As you've got Georgia Tech now 7-15 and 1 against the spread. Louisville's clocking in at 7-16 and 1 against the spread for Syracuse. Hasn't necessarily been too terrible for them as they're right now 13 and 12 against the spread. It's just a case in which you need someone to be able to get these covers, I guess. Florida State, they're now 8-16 and 16 against the spread as they just got completely pummeled by North Carolina, 94-74. to 74. North Carolina's been just cranking down for absolutely nobody with their offense recently. They go 12-28 of 28 from 3-point range, Kibble Bluff, 6-8 of eight from distance, 18 points. Armando Bacot, 17 points, 14 rebounds in for Florida State. It's a, been a team that's been dealing with all sorts of injuries. Caleb Mills winds up going down in this game. And speaking of injuries, you wind up having quite a few with IEPUI, a.k.a. EUEPUI, who winds up having to play against Cleveland State with six healthy players and shock, shock, surprise, surprise, they got destroyed. 83-45. to IEPUI was catching 22 points in at no point in this game did it look like they were going to be able to cover this number. They were down 43-17 to at the half. It was just absolutely embarrassing. You feel bad for the guys, but at the same time, it is somewhat funny to watch. So, man, it's hard to be able to back this UEPUE bunch. Wake Forest, by the way, 16-10 against the spread if you're looking for a team that's able to cover out there in the ACC despite the fact that they wound up losing to Miami, a team that has been pretty badly undervalued, by the way. If you're looking for your best power conference team against the spread, that is currently Auburn at 18-7 and against the spread, so they were able to get it done once again against Texas Tech. You give them a lot of credit. Cornell wound up entering into the day 13-5 and against the spread, but they wind up being unable to get the job done against Brown. What can Brown do for you? Well, if you bet on them, they were able to make you money. 81-80, to the final Cornell. 
It's been one of your better over teams in all of college basketball, by the way, as they go 10-24 from three-point range. And Brown, despite going just 8-26 from three-point range, they get it done because they win the rebound battle by kind of 40-32. to Other profitable teams out there in college basketball, your best cover rate now belongs to Jacksonville at 16-5 and against the spread. They wind up going up against Liberty, a team that has been able to control the Atlantic Sun for many years, and they get the outright win, 73-69. to Darius McGee had 30 for Liberty, but for Jacksonville, they wind up being able to win this game despite the fact that they took just 51 shot attempts because they did a good job of being able to control the boards, winning that battle by kind of 33-31, to and for Liberty, you just weren't able to get a lot out of guys not named Darius McGee. And for Jacksonville, they themselves go 6 of 16 from 3 point range as Kavion Nolan puts up 20 points, 6 boards, 6 assists in this one. Monmouth is a team that has been able to do a good job of being able to cover this year. We'll be seeing if they're going to be able to get back to their cover ways on Sunday against Iona. But another team that has been pretty profitable for you, that would be the Rockets of Toledo. And they want just taking poor Northern Illinois to the woodshed as this was a spot in which they wanted putting up a 100-burger. 172 the final for Toledo. They wind up being able to completely outboard Northern Illinois by kind of 44 to 29. You wind up having for Toledo. Three different guys give you at least 20 points to JT Shulmate, Ryan Rollins along with Ray J. Dennis. And for Toledo, they go 6 of 14 from three-point range. And for Northern Illinois, 5 of 21 from three-point range. So that was not necessarily too terrific for them. If you're looking at your worst coverage rate teams in all of college basketball, we've already ran through a few of them. How about what you've been getting just all season long out of the Sacramento State team? They are currently 5-14 and 14 against the spread that was entering into Saturday. And shock, shock, surprise, surprise, they don't get it done against Southern Utah. 83-57. to 57. Southern Utah has had their deficiencies as well as their 7-14 against the spread. But both of these teams have been very untrustworthy, to say the least. Another team has been relatively untrustworthy has actually been Drake. And Drake winds up going down to Bradley by kind of 68-59. to 59 on Saturday. Bradley, by the way, has actually been able to make you a little bit of coin recently as Rennick Mass was able to give you 15.7 boards and for Bradley, they were able to do a good job of holding Drake to 3 of 13, 3 point shooting. Feels like the offense with going through Tucker DeVries a little bit more has actually been worse this year if that makes sense. It's actually been a subtraction by addition in this case. Duquesne, they have not been able to make any money whatsoever. And a team that I've been liking to back all season long, Fordham, they get the job done on the road, 65-54 to against Duquesne. So being able to cash as a money line underdog. VCU gets there as a money line underdog against George Mason by a count of 85-70. to And by the way, ever since Ace Baldwin has returned, I believe that VCU has now played two-thirds of their games to the over. So you want to be taking a look into that as VCU. They score 85 points on 54 shot attempts. So that tells you just how much he there was out there and for George Mason they wind up losing the rebound battle by kind of 30 to 25 Lamar has been a pretty poopy team with regards to being able to cover as well and they dropped a 7-14 and one against the spread as they got completely destroyed by Seattle by a count of 76 to 50 Lamar been very good to the under as well because you've been missing a whole lot of guys for this team and for Lamar. They wind up going 2 of 7 from 3 point range, so they didn't even give an effort. Seattle, despite going just 10 of 37 from 3 point range, are able to prevail because they won the battle on glass by a count of 44 to 37. Another team has been very intriguing to take a look at has been Northeastern, as things have not been going well for them all season long. And shocker, Northeastern unable to get the job done again. 67 to 51, Drexel was able to get the win and cover in that one. Officer, by the way, if you're looking at good cover teams, 
They were able to take down Delaware 80-66. to Ever since the beginning of the 2018-19 season, they've been a top five cover eight team. But if you're looking for a team that's really gotten hot, UNC Wilmington now 14-1 and against the spread in their last 15 games. And they wind up being able to get it done once again as they take down Charleston by a count of 85-79. to Towson, by the way, out there in that conference. Now 17-8-1 against the spread with their win over Elon, 86-50. As Towson, a top 50 team with regards to points scored on a per possession basis, they've been able to do a relatively solid job out there. So you've got a lot of money being made out there in the CAA. If you're looking at some of your top over and under teams, right now the top over team in all of college basketball, that would be Bowling Green. And they played yet another over on Saturday against Miami of Ohio. It's a game that just completely exploded in the second half. You wound up having both teams be able to get past 45, 94-78, the final Miami of Ohio. They wind up being able to get the job done. They're a team that has been very intriguing all season long. One of your top over teams in all of college basketball as well has been Princeton. And they wind up playing an under, but this was just because he wound up having the opponent not do anything whatsoever. 85-40, to 40, Princeton winds up taking down Dartmouth. There was a point in this game in which Princeton was up by a count of 65-23. to 23. I mean, it was just an absolutely embarrassing display from our good friends over there at Dartmouth. Eastern Michigan has been able to play a lot of overs. They were actually held down by Ohio on Saturday. Ohio, they were able to get the win. They were able to get the cover by a count of 74-56. to 56. So that was one in which did not wind up going the way of the over. But a team that was able to go the way of the over as they wound up playing a little bit more of a harebrained game. That would be Weber State. Weber State actually winds up losing to Idaho. That was a relatively good money line cash if you wound up taking it. But Weber State now is finding themselves to the over this year at 14-6. and six. Mississippi Valley State wound up playing actually the most intriguing game of the day with regards to time length because you wound up having this one go to four overtimes. Mississippi Valley State now 14 overs, seven unders, and a push, but they wind up losing to Alabama A&M 94-92 in a game that required four overtimes. It was 61-61 at the end of regulation with a total of 134, and uh, you just got so much basketball that you were able to get that one in there. Davidson has been a good team against the spread. They've been good to the over, but they were held down by Rhode Island on Saturday, 72-65. Rhode Island gets the job done. This game does wind up going over due to a little bit of late game following us for Davidson. They just weren't able to hit their threes in this one, 7-28 from distance. They were a team that, at this time last week, they were shooting as a collective right around 40% from three-point range, so want to be taking a look at that moving forward. We wound up seeing two very strange sub-118 totals. Both of them wound up being able to hit to the over. San Diego State was able to take down Air Force by a count of 76-64. Total of 115.5. San Diego State laying 18.5, so they were saying that Air Force wasn't going to be able to get to 50. Well, they were able to get past 60 in that one. And then you wind up having the Evansville game against Southern Illinois go very easily over the total as Southern Illinois, they get the job done by a count of 69-62. Closing total was 114.5. Southern Illinois, they weren't able to cover their number of 11.5, so they were saying Evansville was barely going to be able to get to 50 in this one, and they were able to do much more than that, being able to get past 60. Missouri State has been a relatively trustworthy team. They take down Valparaiso 84-66. 
was the final in that one. If you're looking at better under teams this season, right now the Governors of Austin P have been your top under team. Three overs, 17 unders, and a push. And wouldn't you know it, on Saturday, they wind up playing a low-scoring slog against Tennessee State. 54-52 the final. Austin P doing a relatively solid job on the glass. They are unable to get really any offense going whatsoever. Based on reputation, we've been seeing a lot of totals in Georgia State games be set to high and Neither team got to 60 in their game. They take down Appalachian State and get the outright win by kind of 58-49 to 49 as a one-and-a-half point favorite. But this was a game in which nobody could get anything cooking whatsoever. Georgia State, 5-26 from three-point range. Appalachian State did go 7-20, but you also wound up having Appalachian State score 15 total field goals, and they wanted to turn the ball over. 15 times. South Florida actually wound up playing an over, and they're an intriguing bunch because they've actually played 6 out of their last 11 games over the total after they wound up playing each out of their first 11 games under. They were able to get a cover against Wichita State as they wound up losing that game by kind of 73 to 69, but you tell that there's been a little bit of a tempo shift over there. Tulane has been playing quite a few overs recently, 92 to 83. They take down Temple in overtime. Another team that has been very solid to the under this season has been Central Connecticut State out there in the Northeastern Conference and wound up seeing some very interesting results out there in the NEC. For Central Connecticut State, they cash another under as they wind up getting destroyed by kind of 67-50, to 50, but that winds up coming through. Bryant has been a relatively solid team to the over recently, and they gave up 99 points to Long Island, 99-88. to 88. The final, Peter Kiss was able to give the team 30 points, so that was intriguing. And the nation's longest win streak, that actually belonged to Wagner. That wound up getting snapped, 82-65. Merrimack able to get the job done for Wagner. I believe that they were on a 15-game win streak, so that was one that was unable to go their way. And for Wagner, they were costed this game the under because the game wound up going to overtime. It was 58-58 to going into overtime. Merrimack outscored Wagner 22-7 to in the bonus session. That is not something that you wind up seeing very often. Albany has been one of your better teams to the under the season. It's really been a good cover team ever since they wound up getting their win over Boston College in December, but things did not wind up going their way against a Vermont bunch that despite being in the bottom 75 with regards to possessions per game, they're just absolutely lighting it up out there in the America East. 76-63 the final. How about this for Vermont? They wind up getting 76 points on 49 field goal attempts because they go 22-26 of 26 at the free line and they have Ben Chungu chip in their 18 points. I mean, that's just what Vermont is doing on a night in and night out basis and on a night in and night out basis we're looking for as many ways humanly possible to be able to find you money as we can and over the last 30 days if you take a look at college basketball we've been noticing that it's been relatively solid to the under 804 unders 771 overs as I'm recording this 51% of games over the last 30 days have gone under home underdogs they've been a little bit hit or miss 291 285 and 6 against the spread so that's a 50.5% clip that they've been hitting at and then if you're looking a little bit more specifically at the last 7 days home underdogs have been being slaughtered. 56, 66, and 2 against the spread. That's about a 46% hit rate. I fully expect that to be a rebound and something that is always very solid. That'd be getting Blake Lovell on this podcast. He does a terrific job with his own podcast, the Marching to Madness podcast. Unfortunately, his co-host wound up getting into a bad car accident, so we're going to get the latest on when we can see those two gentlemen back in action. Also going to be talking about the strange middle of the SEC, and we're going to be hitting upon some of the Ryzen League action that we're going to be seeing on Sunday as well. That's coming up next right here on Coast Coast Suits with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast.
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Gotta get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. With just a few taps on the app, you can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. It's your one-stop shop. Angie can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. They get the difficulties that can come with home projects. They get it. Why not make it as simple as possible? Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. And we're back here Monday, Las Vegas. We're just going to see with myself, Greg Excuse, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. It is always a pleasure to get this man on here as we've got Blake Lovell. He does absolutely terrific work over there with a wide variety of different platforms. He does work with the 14 that is covering all SEC sports all the time. He also does the Locked On SEC Podcast, the Marching to Madness Podcast. He's with Blue Ribbon Yearbook, Clutch Point Sports app. You've seen him with Heat Check CBB. List goes on and on. And to be able to follow Blake on Twitter, that is at his name, the Blake Lovell. That is all together. Word the and then last name is spelled L-O-V-E-L-L. And Blake, it's great to have you aboard. Thank you. Yeah, I always enjoy it, Greg. Thanks for having me. Always great to be able to have you aboard. And first things first, for those that love college basketball, I'm sure that many know your friend and colleague, Ken Cross. He was recently in a very serious car accident. You guys have done absolutely great work with the Marching to Bandits podcast all throughout the years. What can you tell us about his status right now? Because I know that he was in really rough shape a few days ago. So hopefully all is well with him because I know that he is beloved by many out there in the college basketball world. Yeah, no, I appreciate you saying that, Greg. It is, yeah, like you mentioned, obviously you and I, we've known each other for for years now. And, you know, the Marching to Madness podcast, we've, goodness, I think it's like six years to the week now that we started that, uh, Ken and I. And, yeah, I mean, we've done... 700 and I think it's like 750 something episodes of that podcast and you know Ken's kind of hosted things here over the past year as you know know, as you mentioned all the time my everything I do now my schedule kind of all over the place with my different assignments and such when it comes to college basketball but yeah it's pretty serious situation and all I know is kind of what I put out on Twitter on I guess it was Thursday night now but yeah he had someone you know hit him while he was driving his car and the person was going pretty high speed and that resulted in a brain injury. And all I know now is, you know, they're just kind of waiting to, to see what's next and hoping for the best. So yeah, we continue to, to think about him and hopefully things get better from here. But uh, again, I appreciate you, you mentioning that because he is, as you know, I mean, there's just, 
there's not a lot of people like Ken out there who just love the game. And, and we always talk about that with me and you. We love it and, and we talk about it all the time. But Ken's in that group of people that just do so many great things, I think, for college basketball. So uh, I really appreciate it again, uh, you bringing that up. And yeah, I'll continue to update everyone on Twitter, uh, like you mentioned. So. Yep, Ken is one of the just true good guys out there in college basketball. We're going to be getting into more of a, shall we say, fun topic here in a minute, but I did feel like that deserved a little bit of mention because Ken has brought a lot of joy to a lot of us, so he needs us right now, so I figured that it would be very appropriate to mention that here to start off with just because he has done so much for many of us throughout the years. But when it comes to what we're all seeing in college basketball right now, we had a rambunctious Saturday, 150 games out there. So no shortage of teams being able to rise and fall. And when it comes to the hierarchy out there in the SEC, I think it's going to be really interesting to gauge the debate of Auburn versus Kentucky. I know that a lot of people by default are going to put Auburn ahead of Kentucky based on what we wanted seeing earlier this season. But I do think the context is a little bit needed with that. And if I were to power rank these teams personally on a neutral court, I would give Kentucky a little bit of an edge because I feel like Auburn has been so different whenever they've been away from the state of Alabama. And you take a look at that first time that these two teams wound up meeting up. Ty Ty Washington goes out of that game early. If you don't wind up having that go down, I do feel like it's a circumstance in which things would be vastly different. Yeah, it's a different game. And I think, you know, anyone that tries to be reasonable and doesn't have a bias that, that watched that game understands that when he went down, it, it became a much tougher situation, I think, for Kentucky. But I kind of tend to agree with you now. I've gone back and forth on this with these two. Um, and, you know, when you just look at it from a roster standpoint, I mean, my goodness, I keep thinking and it's probably recency bias, but it's like there have been obviously excellent players in the SEC and you've had guys that have gone on to be big NBA stars. But I'm trying to think like in the SEC wise, I don't know if I've seen two players just completely dominate the league in the same year, the way that Oscar Shibway and Walker Kessler have. And I mean, you talk about these two guys, I mean, they are just incredible in terms of the impact they have on the floor. And I think Shibway will be the player of the year in the SEC, but I mean, Kessler is, he is staking his claim. I mean, just with all the block shots, the rebounding, the scoring, these two guys are just, that they are. Like, they are as good as it gets when it comes to how do you impact the game in college basketball. And they're the big reason why I think both these two teams are good enough to, you know, make that Final Four type run this season. And I just think Kentucky right now, the, the way they're playing, you're seeing everything sort of round in the form. And this is not anything unusual, right? We talk about this all the time. With John Calipari's teams, everyone tries to overreact in November, early December. Oh, they don't look as good as we thought they would yet. Well, you just give them a little time and they'll get there. And that's exactly what's happened with this Kentucky team. They are locked and loaded on offense, defensively, their size and just their ability. They just do so many different things well. So take your pick. Probably depends on the you know the day of the week with these two teams. But uh, I think Kentucky, they're playing as good as anybody in the country right now. But I guess you could say too, you know, for Auburn, outside of a couple of these games where been a little up and down on the road. They're right there, too. Yep, they're clearly one and two out there in the SEC. And after that, I would say that Tennessee has done a good job of being able to stake their claim as a solid number three team out there in the SEC. But then after that, I feel like it's a big, giant hodgepodge. The team that wanted being able to take down Auburn a few days ago, Arkansas, they're a team that they look a little bit different home to road themselves. They certainly have been able to right the ship after things were really not looking good in late December, early January for them. And the team that they wound up losing to Alabama, even though they got the win, once again, very unimpressive. They get up by a count of 12 points with about eight minutes left to go. And then 
they made like your buddy at the bar and they did everything humanly possible to not close out that game. So that was very interesting to say the least. We're doing this ahead of Mississippi State versus LSU, a pair of teams that they've had their ups and their downs this year. I recognize that a lot of people have Ole Miss as one of the worst teams out there in the SEC, but even though the record wound up coming into Saturday saying 12-12, and 12, I would actually argue that they played some relatively good basketball, but I take a look at that middle of the SEC, and I'm so intrigued by some of these teams because I feel like they play both up and down to the competition, and with the SEC, you've got a lot of teams that they play very fast, but with regards to the efficiency on offense and more specifically the consistency, you just don't know what you're going to be able to get out of these teams from night to night. Yeah, it's hard to figure. I mean, that top group is really good, but that middle, and I feel like we have this discussion a lot, you know, each season with the SEC specifically, there are always those three teams or so that you look at and say, man, if they would just play a little bit more consistent, they're teams that can win multiple games in the tournament. Like they're they're that good and they have that kind of potential, but you just never know what you're going to get. And, you know, Alabama's kind of slid into that territory this year. Florida, I think, is another team like that. You just don't really know what you're going to get on night in and night out basis with them. And, of course, they're right there, I think, probably on the outside looking in right now in the tournament as it, you know, after probably just where things stand right now. But, you know, then you have teams like Mississippi State and LSU. I think LSU still, <laughs> everybody laughs at me because, like, I try to just continue to find ways to stay on the LSU bandwagon because I'm just like, you know, they lost whatever, six of seven. They lost that game at Vanderbilt, and I'm thinking – I still feel like at full strength, LSU is is really, really good. And, you know, now that they've gotten Xavier Pinson back, maybe this is where they start to make that turn. And, and oh, by the way, they played probably as tough of a first half schedule in the SEC as anyone. So this is will give them a chance, I think, to kind of get back on track. But still, it's the same thing. It's You don't know if that consistency is going to be there just yet. So really curious to see, like, which of these teams emerge. I mean, certainly Alabama, I think, is the team in there that you say, well, there's no one that has any better, you know, group of wins than Alabama. And we kind of understand that at this point, but they're just so hard to figure out. After that, I think it's like LSU. And, and I just don't have a whole lot of confidence in Florida or Mississippi State right now. I think Vanderbilt's interesting. I think they're getting a lot better, but they're going to have to beat some of these quality teams down the stretch to even get back into that NCAA tournament discussion. But I think that's a team to keep an eye on just because, you know, they've got Rodney Chapman back, Lee and Robbins finally playing. They are at full strength. So it gets more intriguing with, with teams like that, but you don't know what you're going to get with these teams in the middle right now. Yep, and then with Tennessee as well, you know that you're going to get really good defense. You have no idea what you're going to get on the offensive end for them. We've seen them go 6-40. of 40 from three-point range already this season. As we do have Blake Lovell joining me on the podcast. Does a great job with his own podcast, the Marching to Madness podcast, Blue Ribbon Yearbook. List goes on and on. And Blake, I know that one of the conferences that you cover every single year for Blue Ribbon, and is going to be one that is going to be on full display for Super Bowl Sunday. And you've got a couple teams that come out there from one of the states in which it's going to be represented in the Super Bowl in the great state of Ohio, as we're talking about the Ryzen League. And I think it's going to be really intriguing what we do wind up getting because you do have an Oakland versus Detroit matchup that I think is going to be one that is going to be relatively solid. You've got a Detroit team that's dealing with an injury to Madat Asech, but that said, this Oakland team, even though they've fallen on some tough times recently, they wound up taking a trio of losses. I still think that this is a team that if they're able to get into the NCAA tournament, they could be a scary team. And with Detroit, they've got one of the top scorers in all of college basketball and Antoine Davis. Problem is, you haven't had a lot around him since the recent emergence of DJ Harvey. 
Yeah, that seems like the conversation we've had for a while now with Detroit. We've always talked about that. We're like, look, we know what Antoine Davis can do, but it's just always been about, all right, can you get what you need out of everyone else? And, you know, they're still struggling to figure that out. I think specifically, you know, when you watch them play, they just, man, they, they give up points and you can't do that with the type of style that they play. And yet they still manage, you know, even a team that doesn't play at really a, a fast sort of pace, they give up a lot of points. So that's not ideal for them. But yeah, I mean, you talk about Oakland. I mean, they said kind of coming into the season, this felt like one of those teams for Greg Campy that you could look at and say, all right, like if things come together, maybe they're finally back to where they want to be. Because, you know, we remember the years where they were right there every single year having a chance to get to the tournament. And, you know, you kind of look at this team now and, and you see the makeup of it and see how it plays out the rest of the way. Certainly Cleveland State doing their part right now teams like that and you know even look at what Youngstown State's doing right I mean they've won what I think it's six in a row now and they've made it a lot more interesting and this league is always hard to figure out and you and I talk about this every year Greg it's just you know when you have so many players coming and going especially in an offseason like we had this year it's just so hard to kind of predict what you're going to see on a night in and night out basis because it takes some time and we say that not just for the Horizon League but really any league around the country it just takes some time to kind of build that chemistry and see how the pieces are going to fit. You know, it's fit well in certain places. In other places, it is not. And I'm sure we know off the top of our head, uh, there's, uh, you know, a couple teams you could pinpoint on that scenario. But, you know, the conference tournament is always very unpredictable, I think, in the Horizon League. But I think this year certainly is going to match that criteria because you could look up and down and, and start to see some of these teams. Like, I don't think a Youngstown State is going to be there, but they have been playing really well as of late. Then you've got Wright State, who's always just kind of right there with a chance, even though, I think we'd all agree, you know, this isn't Scott Nagy's best team he's had there, but still, you know what to expect from them. You know the kind of style they're going to play, and they're going to always be there, I think, with a chance. And then, of course, you've got Cleveland State and Oakland teams like that. So it's very interesting. The league is right now, and yeah, I think it's going to be fun to kind of watch here down the stretch. I do agree with you there, and it is really intriguing to take a look at the two Wisconsin teams as well that are going to be doing battle because it seems like Pat Baldwin Jr. is out once again, which, boy, if you want to talk about a guy that has really hurt his NBA draft stock and something that has just not gone as planned, Pat Baldwin Jr. going over to UW-Milwaukee, that has been a nightmare for all involved, but I mean, I would say it's been an even bigger nightmare this year for UW-Green Bay. Why they let go of Link Darner two years ago, I will never understand. And, well, right now, UW-Green Bay is finding themselves with four wins. And when it comes to sort of the toilet bowl that we're going to be seeing on Sunday, I think a look at UW-Milwaukee, I wouldn't be surprised if they get back to what wanted making them successful last year in going a little bit more up-tempo. And for UW-Green Bay, I just don't know what to say for this team because the coaching change that they've made thus far, it just has not worked. Yeah, it's not been ideal. I mean, I like Will Ryan. I think he's someone that's going to eventually have a lot of success in his career, but it's just, we talked about it, Greg. When they made that change, it caught a lot of us off guard because we just kept looking up and saying, hey, hang on a second. Like, this is a team that's kind of, you know, for the most part, just had a lot of chances to kind of be right there. And that's kind of what you want at the mid-major level, right? There's so much sort of turnover that you know every single season it's going to be hard to sustain that success, especially, I think, in this era, just because of transfers and all these other things. But it was one that made you you wonder. And unfortunately, I think for Green Bay to this point, you know, you've had the turnover roster, but you've also just not really had any sort of, you know, development the way you want to see it. And 
I think that's got to be frustrating, you know, for them and where they're at. Now, sure, their record could look quite a bit different this year. I know they lost, you know, more than a handful of close games. I think off the top of my head, I don't know the exact number, but I'd say it's, you know, probably in that six, seven, whatever range. They've lost a lot of those games by, what, six or less, five or less, something like that. So maybe that changes a little bit, but still, your record kind of is what it is at this point. I mean, that's where things stand. But, you know, for Milwaukee, as you mentioned, we just think about what our expectations were coming into the season. And it just hasn't bet that. And for them, there's no doubt a lot of disappointment. You gain a little bit of, I guess, confidence going into this game on Sunday just because you did beat Wright State. That's kind of a win that gets you off that six-game losing streak. But at the same time, it just feels like, you know, sort of a lost season again. And I wonder what kind of the path looks like going forward, really, for both of these two teams. Because for both fan bases, this is not where you expected them to be, probably at this point. Yep, I totally agree with you. It certainly has been a brutal year for UW-Milwaukee and for UW-Green Bay. Who boy. They're having about as much success here in the month of February as the Green Bay Packers and the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> well, they didn't wind up making it to February, so that was a little bit unfortunate. But something that we are always very fortunate for on this podcast is getting you on, Blake. I know that you do a wide variety of things. I know you run quite a few podcasts. I know that you're out there putting out their articles on so many different platforms. So love to get people at home. Know they're able to follow you on social media and just everything that you've got going on in general. Yeah, I always appreciate it, Greg. Like you said, I cover a lot of stuff. And if you want the SEC stuff, yeah, that's all over at southeastern14.com. We've got our daily SEC basketball videos over there, so you can check that out. Uh, everything else, you can follow me on Twitter at the Blake Level. And uh, again, Greg, I do want to thank you for bringing up Ken. And as I said, I'll continue to use my Twitter there to, to keep people updated on that. And hopefully we will be back uh, soon enough on the Marching to Madness podcast. Absolutely. That is an absolutely tremendous podcast. You're able to subscribe to that wherever you get this podcast. Hopefully it'll be sounding as good as ever relatively soon. You hope for nothing but the best for good people out there. Ken, he is certainly a very good person, someone that does absolutely amazing work out here in the industry. So Hopefully we are able to see good news from Blake. I know that he's going to be following that all throughout. And I know that Blake still doing a great job of being able to cover all things college basketball as well. So big thanks to him for joining me right here on Coast to Coast Hoops, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Sunday as we hit some bank shots. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. I don't have time and I'm not good at it. Angie is. In just a few taps, in the Angie app or clicks on the site. You can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. 
With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. Renters, you can use Angie too for moving, installations, or cleaning. Angie can even help with extremely specific projects. Just tell them what you need and Angie will find the right solution for you. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com or download the app today. And we're back here in Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Spears, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. It is always a pleasure to get Blake Love on the podcast. He does terrific work over there at the Marching Demandus Podcast. Blue Ribbon, Yearbook, list goes on and on. You've seen him on Heat Check CBB, the 14, covering all things SEC basketball. So it is great to be able to get him aboard whenever we can. And it is a super Sunday because now it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis for every game on the betting board for this college basketball Sunday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at JRSQuarty1. As per usual, we are going to be going in the Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we go with the games with three digits on the rotation first, and then the games with six digits, those are going to be at the bottom, and we've only got one of those games, so it's pretty much everything in time order, and then Stony Brook versus Maine. It's going to be at the bottom, just to put it simply. And the reason why we wind up going in Las Vegas rotation order is because a lot of books do wind up losing their games in Las Vegas rotation order, for one. And for two, when you wind up coming out to Las Vegas, rather than saying, oh, I would like to bet on Iowa, for instance, instead of saying that you'd like to bet on Iowa, you would actually give the rotation number of 850. So we are going to be starting with this first game of 827-828 on the betting board. UConn, it's road face-off against St. John's, the Red Storm. Find themselves a three and a half point underdog. Total on this game is anywhere between 150 and a half and 151. I didn't make my total 151. We're seeing mostly 150 and a half, so I'm going to be taking a look at it. And over in this spot, you do have a UConn team that they rank in the top winner with regards to possessions per game. And then on the flip side, you got a St. John's team that they're going to be out for blood a little bit more in this one. The last time these two teams wound up playing in January, game wound up going to overtime. St. John's very nearly failed to cover double digits in overtime, but they were able to force overtime. You've got Pasha Alexander, a couple with Julian Champagne, obviously. These guys are very big, and the big question becomes, what, if anything, are you going to be able to get out of Pasha Alexander? Because he did wind up missing the last game. I do think that he's going to go in this one, but I think that he's going to be rather hobbled. But even with that, guy still does a great job being able to generate 2.5 steals per game, and it's not like you're looking to him for three-point shooting. He shoots right around 22% from three. The big key here is Julian Champagne, and what are you able to get out of him? 18.5 points, 6.5 boards, shoots 35% from three-point range, is able to give you a little bit over a block, one and a half steals per game. It's what I get a little bit cold recently, though. 12 points or fewer in three of the team's last five games, but the guy that is stepping up is Aaron Wheeler. How about this man in that game against Villanova? 31 points, 7 rebounds. He's given the team double figures in seven out of the last eight games. Villanadi Wusu is able to give you nine points, four boards, four assists. He shoots 38% from three. Now, it's a St. John's team that they do generate a little bit over nine steals per game. They turn the ball over 12 and a half times per game, and then for UConn, they turn the ball over 12.3 times per game. They do a really good job on the glass, though. So, Odama Sinogo has been able to 
would give you eight and a half boards, 15 points per game. Tyrese Martin, 13 points, six boards. Shoots 43% from three. Andre 3000 Jackson, seven points, seven boards, 42% three-point shooter as a whole. UConn shoots 75% of the charity stripe, 35% from three, but I do think that they're going to have a little bit of a tough time with a St. John's team that does force all of those turnovers down. RJ Cole is someone I do like. Turns the ball over two times per game, 16 points, four and a half assists. So he has been rock solid. But I do think that much like we wound up seeing the last time, it's going to be a little bit of a nip and duck game. I set UConn as a three point favorite. So I three and a half. Don't want the money line, but I'll take the points with St. John's. St. John's is a team that they themselves at the free line shoot more around 66%. So a little bit of trepidation there, but willing to take this total over to go along with those points. 829, 830 on the betting board. Young Sun State is going to be playing with Robert Morris. Bobby Morris finding himself as a 7 to 8 point underdog in your toss game. And between 141 and a half and 142, we're mostly seeing 7 halves. I set my line at 8, so going to be willing to lay if I'm able to get it a 7, if not a 7 half. With Youngstown State, I do like the way that this team has been able to come together. And for Youngstown State, it's been one of the better surprises out there in the Ryzen League with having a bunch of guys be able to step up with the injury to Garrett Covington. Dwayne Cole, Telvin Olison, these two guys have been able to combine for 25.5 points, 9 boards. Both of these gentlemen combined to shoot right around 35.5% from three-point range of what has been really impressive for Youngstown State. Among your top seven active scores for the team, they all shoot at least 75% of the free throw. As a collective, they shoot 76%. They shoot 34% from three-point range. And give Robert Morris credit. This has been a team that has been much more competitive ever since Rasheem Dunn, who was averaging 13 points and four assists per game, left the program. Khalil Spear, the transfer from Bucknell, 14 points, eight boards. Got Robert Morris team that they only shoot about 34% from three. It's been rising a little bit more recently. The 14 and a half turnovers game. That needs a little bit of work, but you do have a pair of guys in Michael Green, the third, along with Anak Cheeks, who have really been able to step up. Cheeks is able to shoot 41% from three-point range. Been a little bit more pedestrian recently. He's had four-plus turnovers in two out of the last three games. He's been able to 12 points or fewer in four out of the last five, but certainly has been able to do some nice things recently. And then you take a look at what you're able to get out of Michael Green, the third. The transfer from Bryant, giving the team a little bit over three assists per game. Not a great three-point shooter, but does a good job of being able to flow this off Four plus assists, and now five out of the last eight games. Cam Ferris is someone that has been able to shoot it relatively well from three point range, has had his ailments throughout the season, but still shooting 45% from three point range in true road games. And then you do take a look at Youngstown State. I do think that Michael Cucci going to be able to win the battle down low 14 points, seven and a half rebounds per game, and that'll allow Youngstown State to be able to cover this line with Robert Morris. They are a little bit more of an up tempo team. They're going up against a Youngstown State team that they rank in the bottom one with regards to possessions per game. I think that you're going to get something in the middle here as if you take a look at Robert Morris's offense, 66 points or fewer in far the last five games with the defense as we will rise up just a tad bit more. So I'm going to take a look at the under in the spots at this hold at 140 and won't lay up to 8 here with Youngstown State. We move on to 831, 832 on the bank board right state. It's going to be playing us to Northern Kentucky. The Norse are a 5 to 5.5 point underdog in your Toronto game. And between 139.5 and 140. I made my total 148 here because you do have a right state team that, even though they're outside the top 100 with regards to possessions per game, they're still playing at a pretty brisk pace. And that team has really been able to put the ball in from two-point range. They're a team that they rank in the top 50 with regards to two-point shooting percentage. You're in the top 75 with regards to points scored on a per-possession basis. Tanner Holden, he's holding it down. 20 points, 7 boards, 3 assists, steal per game, shooting 40% for three-point range. 
the Raiders have had a little bit of a rough time being able to make their threes. 32.5% is collected, but they do shoot 76.5% at the free throw line. Trey Calvin has been able to give you three assists, a little bit over a seal per contest. He shoots 36% from three, 14 points per game, and then Grant Bazile. They will give you eight and a half boards, two assists, 17 points per game. So, got a bunch of headliners. Not necessarily a ton of depth with Wright State. When it comes to Northern Kentucky, this team does have a little bit more depth because got a pair of guys in Adrian Nelson, coupled with Chris Brandon, who have been able to give you a combined 15 rebounds per game. Neither of these guys average more than seven points per game, but you've got yourself a good backcourt trio. Marquise Warwick, Trayvon Faulkner, Sam Vincent. These guys have been able to combine for about 39-ish points per game. You've got Warwick shooting about 34% for three, 80% the free line. Faulkner, 40% from distance. He chips in there, three and a half boards per game. And Vincent, really the guy that doles out the ball, three and a half assists, four and a half boards, two steals per game. He shoots about 36% from three-point range. And for Northern Kentucky, they are a team that they turn their defense and offense. They're able to give you nine and a half steals per game. I think that that's going to be very important because you do have a guy like a Bryson Langdon who's been a little bit off with his offense this year. After averaging nearly 11 points per game last season, more like five and a half points per game this season, but has been able to give the team four assists, has been able to give the team multiple steals in three of the team's last four games. So has been able to still make a difference. But for Wright State, what I think is going to be huge for them, and the reason why I did wind up saying them as a six-point favorite, is that you've got someone in Tim Finke who's really been able to step up a little bit more for this team, wind up having 11 points in the last contest, a loss against UW-Milwaukee. But you take a look at him being able to contribute in a wide variety of ways, four-plus rebounds in pretty much eight out of the last 11 games for this team. He's been able to give you a combined six steals in the last four games, so he's been able to do a good job of being a little bit of a glue guy for Wright State. I do think that Wright State, on their own floor, going to be able to get the job done. I do think that you wind up getting a little bit of late game following, so said this sold at 148. I'm willing to go over. And Wright State, willing to lay up to six with them, so I think the points are taking a look at the over. 833, 834 on the betting board. Purdue is going to be playing on some Maryland. Maryland's a 15-16 to 16 point underdog in your turn on this game. Going to be getting it at a 148.5 with this Purdue team. I wound up saying them as a 17-point favorite, so I'm going to be willing to lay it here. I think that Purdue was just in a really bad spot a few days ago when they wound up going up against Michigan, and I think that this is going to be a little bit more favorable for them because this is a Purdue team in which you've got just so much firepower and I will say they're just a significantly better team at Mackey Arena than they are on the road. It's just been thro- shown through the test of time. You got Jaden Ivey, he's able to give you 17.5 points, 5 boards, steal 3 assists per game, shooting 40% from 3 point range, and among guys that have made at least 1 3 this season. So that takes Zach Eady out of the fold. Each of your top 6 scorers for Purdue are shooting over 40% from 3 point range. It is absolutely ridiculous. You've got Eady coupled with Travion Williamson, we're able to give you a little bit over 15 rebounds per game with Trayvon Williams, 12.5 points per game, 3 assists. Sasha Safanovic, 3.5 assists. He shoots 85% the free line, so we got a lot of short-handed guys now. When it comes to Purdue, the defense has been lacking with this team. They're outside the top 100 with regards to defensive efficiency, but also got a Maryland team that they shoot about 33% from three. They've been looking to bump up their tempo a little bit more, and they're coming off of giving up 110 points to Iowa. I think that Maryland is going to get the message, even though it is Danny Manning who's coaching them, that, yeah, we're going to want to do a little bit of a better job here defensively, and I do think that the numbskulls over there for Purdue, they're probably going to be getting that same message after they want to giving up north of 80 to Michigan. So I do think that this is a good spot for positive regression with regards to both of these defenses. I did wind up setting my total at a 147, so I'm going to be looking at the under, but 
when it comes to this Maryland team. I didn't wind up saying them as such a big underdog because right now i got one guy that's able to give you more than six rebounds per game. That'd be Dante Scott, 12.5 points, six boards per game. Now, I will say, Kudus Wab at the beginning of the season was able to look relatively solid, but held to just nine minutes against Iowa. It looks like he might be a little bit banged up at this point, so... And it's not necessarily too great. Eric Ayala, a couple of fats. Russell combined 28.5 points per game. You've had Ayala be able to shoot about 34% from three. And ever since Banning took over, he's really been able to do a solid job in true road games. He's able to give the team 19 points, shooting 45% from three. But I think that you're going to get some regression. I think both of these teams come out with a better defensive effort, especially Purdue. And I think that Purdue is going to be out for a curb stopping on their home floor. I wound up setting Purdue as a 17-point favorite. I'm willing to lay it here. Set this sold at 147 as well. So we're going to be taking a look at it under. 835, 836 on the betting board. Iona is going to be playing with some Monmouth. Monmouth is finding themselves in a nap point underdog in your tallest game. You're going to be getting it at a 141 to a 141.5 ever since starting out the year. 11 and 0 against the spread. Things have been a little bit tougher for this Monmouth bunch, but I do feel like they're catching a little bit too many here. I wound up saying my line at an 8, so we'll take 8.5. Shavar Reynolds, a couple of George Pappas have really been the backcourt duo. For this Monmouth team, they have been able to combine for a little bit over 30 points per game. Now, you do want to be noting that Trevor Reynolds has been dealing with a tad bit of an ailment. Even when he's been out there in recent games, he has been a little bit more limited. 13 points or fewer in each of the last five games. So, you do want to be taking a look at that. There's a chance that he might not go in this game. Walker Miller, meanwhile, 15.5 points, 6 boards. He has been a good, versatile big man, being able to shoot 32% from 3. And with Reynolds, Miller, and Pappas, all three of these guys should at least 75% at the free throw line. If Reynolds is unable to go, you got to feel like you're probably going to be seeing a little bit more out of Samuel Chapit. Chapit is someone who has been able to be more of a facilitator for this team. Last year, averaged three assists per game. This season, he's only been able to give you right around two assists and four points per contest, but he's able to be a plus defender, so that's going to lead to Monmouth being in a little bit more of a defensive shell. Meanwhile, you take a look at Iona. This is a team that they're looking to gun it a bit more. This is a team that thrives on being able to get to the free throw line. One of the top teams in all of college basketball with regards to free throw attempts per game. They shoot about 33% from three, 70% at the charity stripe. Nelly Jr., Joseph going to be able to control things down low. 13 points, 8 boards, 2 blocks per game. Elijah Joyner has been able to give you 12 points per game. Doesn't really turn the ball over while giving you 3 assists per game. Tyson Jolly he is very jolly as he's able to shoot 40% from 3 point range. 15 points per game. The big key for Monmouth, in my opinion, is going to be shutting down Quinn Slezniski, coupled with Dylan Van Eyck. Both of these guys stand right around 6'8", 6'9". They're able to pop threes. If you take a look at the last time these two teams wound up playing, Iona got the job done on the road, but that game required overtime, and it required a Iona effort that was very, very good from three-point range at 11 of 29. Iona wound up losing that turnover battle by kind of 16 to 7, and for Monmouth, they wound up going 19 of 30 at the free throw line. I think that they're going to be a little bit better in this spot, even without Shavar Reynolds being at 100% slash being out there on the floor at all. Samuel Chapit has been able to do some nice things, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, with being able to flow the offense, and I do think that Nikhil Ruti was able to give you seven rebounds per game. Going to be able to hold his own down low. So, I'm going to be taking a look at the points here with Monmouth. I wound up setting this line at eight, and it's a total, which I wound up setting at a 146. Iona in the top 75 with regards to possessions per game. Monmouth has been a relatively efficient offense, so we're looking over, and we're going to be going with the points. We move on to 837, 838 on the bang board. Sienna, it's red face off against Ryder. 
Riders between a three and three and a half point favorite in your tallest game. They're between 130 and a half and 131. Got a pair of teams that wound up beginning the year quite cold out there with regards to their non-conference play and ever since getting in conference, Ryder and Siena have been able to heat up. Ryder has been able to win four out of their last five games and Siena is coming off of knocking off Iona and they're a team that they themselves have been able to win four out of their last five games. You got a pair of guys that do a solid job out there in the backcourt when it comes to the Sienna Bunch. What you've got to love about Kobe Rogers is his pure shooting. Guy that's able to give you 14.5 points. She's 42% for three. Really doesn't do much else. But then you got Anthony Gaines. 11 points, 7 boards, steal per game. Doesn't shoot it well from three, but just does a wide variety of things for the team. Jackson Sormo's able to give you 7 boards per game as well. And then for Ryder, it's your big two of Demencio Vaughn, coupled with Dwight Murray Jr. They're able to combine for about 26 points per game. They're able to give you 14.5 boards. Murray is able to chip in their four and a half assists, three seals between the two of them. Neither of them shoot it necessarily well from three-point range, but they both shoot 76%. The charity stripe, Ajiri Aguamo Johnson has been able to give you six and a half boards per game. And then you've got a pair of guys in Mervyn James, coupled with Alan Boom Boom Powell, both able to give you between 10 and 11 points per game, shooting in the mid-30s from three-point range. Ryder only turns the ball over right around 11 and a half times per game. For Siena, it's a team that has been relatively controlled themselves. They turn the ball over 13 times for contests. Neither of these teams generate a lot of swipes, but when it comes to the spot, I do wind up saying Ryder as a three-point favorite. I do think that Sienna holds in there because I like what I've been able to see out of guys like Aiden Carpenter coupled with Nick Hopkins. Hopkins is someone that shoots 40% from three-point range. He's been able to give you eight points per contest. Carpenter gives you more around seven points per game. Does a solid job of being able to flow the offense. I think that Sienna is going to be able to hold their own down low. I do think that we're going to see a little bit of a higher scoring game. Neither of these teams are necessarily prolific at the free line, but at the same time, got a pair of teams that they do shoot north of 71.5% at the charity stripe. So looking at the over, semi total of 135 and with setting my line at 3, won't take 3.5 plus here with Siena. 839, 840 on the banging board. Oakland is going to be playing host to Detroit. Detroit has found themselves between a 7.5 and an 8 point underdog and your tournament's game is a 144 to a 144.5 with Oakland. I set them as an 11 point favorite. When it comes to Detroit, they were with oh, Mado Asich in their last game and you got to figure that that's going to be the case once again and even if he does wind up going, he's going to be hobbled and trying to shut down Mr. Jamal Kane, who is very able to take over a game. How about Jamal Kane coming in for Marquette, giving this Oakland team 20 points, 10 boards per game. He doesn't necessarily shoot it well from three-point range overall, but in his seven home games, he's shot 39% per distance, so he has been very, very good there. And he's also at home, averaging 23.5 points per game. When it comes to this Oakland team, it isn't just Kane who's able to give you rebounds as Micah Parrish, Trey Townsend, they combine to be able to give you 12.2 rebounds per game for Parrish. He's been able to give you right in the neighborhood about 10.5 points per game. And then Townsend, he's able to chip in their 15 points per contest. And then you've got to love what you're able to get out of the main point guard in Jalen Moore as this man is able to give you more. Eight assists per game, let off college basketball with regards to assists last season. And among your top four scores for Oakland, they all give you at least 1.4 steals per game. Now, Oakland, you only shoot about 30% for three-point range, but 79% the free throw line Detroit. It's actually been a relatively prolific three-point shooting team. This is a team that has collective. They shoot 37% from three, 77.5% at the free throw line, both Detroit. They're actually a bottom 75 team with regards to possessions per game. It's just all about Antoine Davis giving you 37 percent three-point shooting, 23 and a half points per game, so he has been rock solid for this team. He's been able to give the team a combined 54 points in the last two contests, but he can sometimes get very loose with the ball, three and a half turnovers a game, because he is just such a high-usage guy, and 
with not having Asetch out there. You've got to figure that DJ Harvey is going to need to pick it up, and DJ turned it up. This guy has actually been able to do a very solid job recently. At least 14 points in each out of the last five games. He's been able to chip in there double figures in each out of the last six. Has been able to chip in there at least four boards in each out of the last six contests. So, DJ Harvey has become a good number two for this team, but need a little bit more out of guys like Kevin McAdoo and Matt Johnson, who both give you right around seven points per contest. Both of these guys relatively good shooters, with Johnson being able to shoot 43.5% from three-point range, but you need more out of Noah Waterman. Last year shot 50% from three. This year 33% from distance. Oakland not necessarily the deepest team, but because Detroit plays at such a slow tempo and they really have everything flowing through their main man in Antoine Davis, it leads to a little bit of a matchup nightmare here for them. I think that Oakland going to be very prolific with regards to their scoring in this one. Oakland, a relatively up-tempo team, set this all at 145. Going to be going over, and with Oakland, going away up to 11 with them, so going to be laying the points. We move on to 841, 842 on the betting board. You've got Northwestern in the road face-off against Illinois. Now fighting a lion eye, finding themselves between a 10 and 10.5 point favorite in your tall escape. It's 139. Set Illinois as a 10.5 point favorite. I'm seeing mostly 10s out there, so I'm going to be willing to lay a 10 here. When it comes to this Northwestern team, it's just bad news bears for this team. Uh, every single time the calendar winds up turning from one year to the next, the team winds up going into a big, giant swoon, and we've seen it once again this season. Got a guy, Boo Booey, who does a good job of being able to run the point as Northwestern in the top 15 in all of college basketball in terms of fewest turnovers on a per-possession basis. They have been committing right around 9.5 per contest with Bowie. He's able to shoot about 36% from three, 15.5 points, five assists per game. Pete Nance is someone who's saying six foot ten is able to give you 15 points, seven boards, three assists, shooting 41.5% from three overall. Northwestern shoots 35% from three. Problem is this team just can't get a stop to save their lives. Now, last time these two teams wound up playing, you saw a little bit of an anomaly in that you wound up having Illinois get the job done on the road by a count of 59 to 56 in a game, which really there weren't a lot of possessions. There weren't a lot of shots that were falling for either team, but what I do think is big for Illinois is that they are going to have Kofi Coburn out there in the first time around at 22 points, 9 rebounds. I think that he's going to be able to step up once again now. The question becomes, what do you get out of Andre Carbello, if anything? Because he's been back the last few games. He's been really used off the bench, giving you like 15 minutes. He's able to average right around 9.5 points per contest. When they put the ball in his hands, either greatness or really, really bad things wind up happening because he's a high turnover guy, but he is a high-octane guy as well. But then you take a look at Illinois, and I don't really think that you need him at this point because Alfonso Plummer has been able to give you 15 points per game. He shoots 40% from three, 92%. And the free throw line, Trent Frazier, he gives out four assists, 13 points. He shoots in the mid-30s from three-point range. Jacob Granderson, 10.5 points up 42% three-point shooting. So, got a lot of very capable guys. They're able to do a solid job for this team with Northwestern. You got guys like Ryan Green and Crepity. They do a solid job down low, but I do think that you're going to see a much more up-tempo game than you wound up seeing in game one. I do think that Illinois going to be able to go bombs away from three. Northwestern has not been able to guard the arc this year, so they wind up seeing my total at 143 and a half. I'm willing to go over with Illinois. Set them as a 10.5 point favorite, so willing to lay a 10 here. 843, 844 on the betting board. Old Dominion is going to be playing us UAB. UAB is an 8 to 8.5 point favorite in your tallest game. It is 138.5. I want to say my total at 135.5. You do have an Old Dominion team that they rank outside of the top 275 with regards to possessions. Graham UAB has been pumping up their tempo a little bit, but it is still a relatively efficient defensive team because they force a whole bunch of seals. As a collective, they're generating 10.5 seals per contest with Quan Jackson headlining this effort. 
two and a half steals per game, 11 and a half points, five boards per game. It's really been Jordan Walker who's been doing a great job of being able to lead this offense. 19 and a half points per game. He shoots 41% from three-point range. UAB as a collective. They shoot 36.9% from the outside. You've got each of your top three scores shooting above 71%. The charity stripe, KJ Buffin, is able to give you 10 and a half points, six and a half rebounds per game. He chips in there a steal per game. You've been able to have Trey Jamison give you seven and a half boards, a block and a half per game. And for Old Dominion, you're going to have a tough time being able to match up down low now. You do have Austin Trice coupled with Kalu Azikpe. Both of these guys combined to be able to give you 24 points, a little bit under 15 rebounds per game, and both of these guys, really true low post presences with Azikpe being able to give you 1.3 blocks per game. KJ Kaiser has been able to shoot about 36% from three-point range, but Old Dominion as a whole. They shoot 30% from three, 67% the free throw line. They do a solid job of taking care of the ball as you've got Jalen Hunter giving you 9.5 points, 4.5 assists. Doesn't really turn the ball over like a lot, but but really not a lot of three-point shooting when it comes to this old Dominion team. You're going to need to try to get a little bit more out of guys like uh, Makai Long, who's been able to give you eight points and seven rebounds to be able to step up in the spot, and I just don't think that they're going to be able to do so against a UAB team that they'll still have a guy like a Michael Erdahl there in the backcourt that's able to give you 10 points per game. UAB, I think, should be able to dominate this game. I think that they're going to be able to turn over this old Dominion team rather frequently, so when I'm saying this total, 135.5, willing to dive under at the UAB, willing to lay up to nine with them. 845, 846 on the betting board. UW-Milwaukee is going to be playing us to UW-Green Bay. UW-Green Bay is finding themselves as shocker and underdog of five points in your talents game. You're going to be finding it anywhere between a 130 and a half and 131. I recognize that Pat Baldwin Jr. wound up missing the last game for this UW-Milwaukee team, and at this point, you got to figure that he's going to be out for a little bit of a length of time once again if he winds up coming back because this year has been a big, giant bust rooney for him. But with UW-Milwaukee, even without Pat Baldwin Jr., I'm going to lay up to six with them because this is a UW-Green Bay team that has been really, really bad. You take a look at this UW-Green Bay bunch, and you've got no outside shooting whatsoever with this team. Emmanuel Asung is able to give you 12 points, four rebounds per game. He shoots 31% from three, and that's really one of the top marks for a team that they shoot as a collective, 27.8% from three-point range. You've had Nate Jenkins be able to step up a little bit more for this team. Eight-plus points each out of the last six contests. A guy that shoots right around 40% from three-point range for the season, but in true road games, shoots 30% from three-point range. UW-Green Bay does not have someone other than Asung who's able to give you more than five rebounds for Amen for UW-Milwaukee. It's not necessarily sexy, but you do have Joey St. Pierre who's able to give you five and a half boards, five and a half points per game. Chips in there a block and a half per contest. You still have DeAndre Golson who's able to give you 15 points, six boards per game. Now, UW-Milwaukee, they're only shooting about 31.5% from three-point range. They turn the ball over 13 times per game, but you do have someone like a Jordan Lathan who's able to do a relatively solid job of be able to hold down the fort for this team. Able to give you 7.5 points, 5.5 boards, 3 assists per game, and then I think it goes under the radar. Well, you've been able to get out of Tafari Sims, 7 points, 3.5 boards. He has been a little bit banged up throughout the season, but he's starting to hit his peak. He's been able to give you at least 7 points in 4 of the team's last 5 games. Sure, ended at the free throw line at home has been able to knock down 35% of his threes with a double digit amount of points per game. So I do think that UW Milwaukee going to overrun a UW Green Bay team that has just been really bad to say the least this season. I recognize that UW Milwaukee may have yet to be able to live up to their billing, but what I think UW Milwaukee is going to look to do is going to try to 
to get back to some of the success that they wound up having last season with going very much up-tempo. They were one of the quickest teams in all of college basketball. UW-Green Bay, they're playing very slow and controlled. I do think that you wind up getting a little bit of late-game fouling, which is why I did wind up setting this total at a 132. I'm going to be looking at the over. And the UW-Milwaukee won't lay up to six with them. 847-848 on the betting board. Manhattan is going to be in the road face-off against Quinnipiac. The Bobcats are finding themselves as a five-point favorite, seeing a couple four-and-a-halves out there as well. They're drawing this game in between 150 and a half and 152 and with Quinnipiac, I do wind up seeing them as a four-point favorite. So I'm going to be taking a look at the points with Manhattan. Now with Manhattan and Nelson, coupled with Jose Perez, your top two scorers. Well, they also are your top two men with turning the ball over. Both of these guys combined for right around six and a half turnovers per game. But you do have a guy in Perez that does a good job of being able to stuff the stat sheet. As he's been able to contribute a little bit over 19 points per game, he chips in there four and a half assists, three and a half boards has come in for Marquette and has really been able to do a good job for this team. Shoots right around 88% of the free throw line in true road games as well with Ant Nelson. A little bit too, I guess you call it heavy-handed with the turnovers, but it's a guy that's able to shoot 35.5% from three-point range, and then you get good team rebounding out of this Manhattan team as well. Someone like a Sam Diallo is able to give you 5.5 rebounds per game, along with Elijah Buchanan. 8.5 points, 4.7 boards, steal and a half per contest. Now, with Manhattan, 14.7 turnovers per game is a little bit unsightly, and Quinnipiac going to have the best pure post player in this game in Kevin Marfo. 10.3 points, 10.6 boards, and has been leading the team in assists per game with darn near four. Don't have anyone else that really gives you more than two and a half assists per game. That'd be Mr. Desi Jones. He's been able to give you 10 points, two and a half boards, two and a half assists. Does shoot 35% from three-point range, and has been relatively solid recently with a double-digit amount of points in far of the last five games. Matt Blonich, 15 points. Shoots 37% from three, 74% at the free throw line. I do take a look at this spot, though, and it's really hard to have too much faith in Quinnipiac being able to cover this number because they are a team that they do not necessarily do the world's greatest job of being able to take care of the ball with 13.5 turnovers per game. They're a little bit up and down with their defense. Therese Williams has been able to shoot about 40% from three-point range, but he is very shaky with regards to his consistency as well. So this is a line that I set at four. I'm going to be willing to take the points with Manhattan. Manhattan has been relatively solid to the over. Now I feel like we've just went too far with their totals. So I set this at a 144.5 personally. You've got a Quinnipiac team that's a little bit more up-tempo, but nothing extreme. And Manhattan, they're a mid-tempo team. So we're going to be taking a look at the under, and I'm willing to take the points here with Manhattan. 849, 850 is going to be the DK Nation pick as you've got Iowa, and they're going to be playing us in Nebraska. Nebraska has find themselves as a 17-point underdog in your tallest game. Going to be getting anywhere between a 156F, seeing a size of 158, and DK Nation pick, we're going to be going with the over in this spot. You got yourself a Nebraska team that is not guarding a soul right now. They're outside the top 250 with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis. You want to know who else isn't doing much guarding? That'd be Iowa, even though they wound up being able to get that win against Maryland a couple days ago. They wound up giving 87 points up in the process and got a Nebraska team that is slowing down for absolutely nobody. They are ninth in the country with regards to possessions per game. This is a true road game, and in true road games, Nebraska, the quickest team in terms of tempo at all of college basketball. They're just giving up points left, right, and sideways, and then you got an Iowa team that all of a sudden Jordan Bohannon is able to heat up for them in their 110-point outburst against Maryland. He wound up having dead-made threes in that game, and he's not even the top scorer on this team. That'd be one Keegan Murray, and Keegan Murray should be able to have himself a field day in this one, a guy that has been able to give you 22.5 points. He's chipping in there 8.5 boards, 
two blocks, steal and a half per game. He's been able to give the team at least 21 points in each out of the last three games. And for Iowa, they are the top team in the country with regards to fewest turnovers on a per possession basis. Nebraska, 13 turnovers per game with being in the top 10 with regards to possessions per game actually isn't bad. They don't shoot it great from three-point inch at 31%. Lonzo Verge, Bryce McGowan, these two guys combined to be able to give you about 31 points, nine and a half rebounds per game. Really, other than Verge, you don't have a single guy that gives you more than two assists per game as well. So, you got a team that is really looking to kick it up devil, but not necessarily a lot of fencing that is going on. C.J. Wolcher is able to shoot 40% from three. I think we're going to see a very poopy defensive effort here from Nebraska. It's a Nebraska team that has just been all over the place with regards to what they've been able to do. Ding dong, the witch is dead for them because they wanted to be able to get their first Big Ten win of the season, but I think that this is going to be a case in which we're going to see Iowa really bumping up the tempo when it comes to this Iowa team. They themselves have given up at least 80 points and three out of the last four games. I think that we're going to see the Olay style of defense out of both of these teams. Set my total at a 165. The DK Nation pick is the over. I think Iowa has Nebraska completely outgunned as well. I wound up setting this line at 19, so I'm going to be laying it here with Iowa. And the DK Nation pick is the over. 851, 852 on the betting board. Middle Tennessee is going to be playing off to Charlotte. Charlotte is a 7 to 7.5 point underdog in your total. It's anywhere between 142 and a 144. But I'm saying my total of 142, so here on 144, I'm willing to dive under. Now, Charlotte has been an inefficient defensive team, to say the least, but they are also a team that ranks outside the top 250 with regards to possessions per game, so I just don't think they're going to get enough possessions to be able to push this total over. And for Middle Tennessee, this has been one of the top cover teams in all of college basketball, 15-5-1 against the spread. I think only Jacksonville has a better cover rate right now in all of college basketball. Donovan Sims, along with Josh Jefferson, have been able to really headline this offense, being able to give you a combined 25.5 points, 7.5 boards. Jefferson shoots 37.5% from three, 92% of the free line. Sims, he shoots 88% of the free line. Middle Tennessee is a collective 74.5% at the charity stripe. Now, the big problem that you've got with Middle Tennessee, you've got one guy that gives you more than 4.5 rebounds per game. That would be DeAndre Dishman. He's able to give you 8.5 points, 4.6 rebounds per game. Then you take a look at Charlotte. This is a team that they themselves have been able to have Jameer Young do a great job for this team. 19 points per game, 5.5 boards, 3.5 assists. Shoots 37% from three and in true road games. He's been able to shoot 40% from distance. Now, Charlotte has been very intriguing in that even though their possessions per game have been very low, this is a team that they have been giving up the points recently. At least 68 and 4 out of their last 5. That includes a game against very slow Old Dominion. They've been able to put up the points themselves with at least 77 each other last three. And for Middle Tennessee, it's a team that they've been able to put up some points themselves, at least 75 in four out of the last five. I do think the things are going to be a little bit more tight in this one. I do think that Charlotte is going to be able to hold in this game because you do have Austin Butler giving you 12.6 boards. He shoots 36% from three. Charlotte as a whole. He shoots 77.5%. The charity stripe 36.5% from three. Robert Braswell gives you no rebounds whatsoever, but at six foot eight, he's able to shoot 46% from three-point range. Having Clyde Trapp be able to give you five and a half boards per game means that Charlotte, I think, is going to be able to do enough on glass to be able to hold that bay in this game. Set this line at 7. So at 7.5, I'm going to take the points with Charlotte. And like I said, with the total, set it at a 142. So seeing north of 143 here, going to be taking the under along with the points. 853, 854 on the betting board. Mercer is going to be in the road face off against UNC Greensboro. Greensboro is a 4.5 to a 5 point favorite. And your tallest game, you're going to be getting it at a 128. Set my total at a 127. Got a Mercer team outside the top 220 
125 yards possessions per game. It's a UNC Greensboro team that has been a little bit better on offense recently, but certainly not a blazer out there. So we're going to be taking a look at the under. And when it comes to Mercer, I wound up saying them as a one-point favorite. So I'm going to be taking a look at Mercer on the money line. Mercer, the last time they wound up playing against UNC Greensboro, got the job done by kind of 58-49 to 49 in that game. Greensboro actually shot 33% for three, which is right around their season average. Now, for Mercer, they did wind up having to go 9 of 19 from distance to be able to get the job done in that game, but I do think they're going to see turnovers on both sides in this one. You had to combine 31 in the first game for UNC Greensboro. They commit right around 14 per contest. Mercer, 13 per game, but I do think that the combination of Jalen Johnson along with Felipe Haas going to be the difference here for Mercer. They combined to be able to give you 29 points, right around 11 boards. Both gentlemen shoot over 41% from three-point range and over 86% at the free throw line as well. You've had Neftali Alvarez be out of the fold for the CMS been able to come back recently in a little bit more of an ancillary role coming in off the bench, so that should be able to help this team out a little bit, but I still think that he's going to be out of the starting lineup for guys like James Glisson third, Sean Walker. Walker has been a guy that's been able to give you three assists per game, so I don't think that they're going to mess with Happy there, and for UNC Greensboro, at this point, it's pretty much DeMonte, Buckingham, and then whatever you can get around him. 13.5 points, 6.5 boards per game. He's been able to shoot 43% per three, 84% in the free line. Greensboro's collective, now shooting 34.5% from three-point range, but he's the only guy that gives you more than 7.1 points per game. Next leading scorer is Caleb Hunter, who has been able to give you about 34.5% three-point shooting, and has been able to put up double figures in four of the last five games, but then you've got the Langley's or looking to be able to give you something. Kobe Langley coupled with his brother Keyshawn Langley would be able to give you a combined 15.5 points per game. They combined to be able to give you right around 5.5 assists per contest. Both shoot 31% from three-point range, but when it comes to the Greensboro team, you'd expect a little bit more than 6.5 seals per contest. I think that Mercer is going to be able to do a solid job of be able to hold on to the ball in this game. I think that Greensboro commits more turnovers, and I just think that they aren't necessarily going to be able to do a great job on the glass with Haas and Johnson, so I'm looking at Mercer here on the money line. Set this all at 127. I think that we get a slow and controlled game, so looking at the under and Mercer on the money line. 855, 856 on the banking board. Marshall, it's a run face off against UTEP. UTEP is between a 6 and 6.5 point favorite. Toronto's game is 143 to 143 and a half. Marshall has been the worst cover rate team in all of college basketball. It has been unsightly terrible to take a look at this team as they are now 4-16-2 against the spread. I did mind saying UTEP has a 6.5 point favorite. At 6.5, I'd be willing to lay it just because, well, there's no trusting in Marshall right now. We're seeing some sixes as well, so certainly going to be willing to take that. Sully Boehm, I think, is going to be the best scorer in this game. 19 points, 3 assists, able to shoot 36% from 3-point range. And for UTEP, you take a look at this team overall, and they've got a lot of guys that do a good job at the free line. Three of your top four scorers shoot at least 85% the charity stripe. Davion Kinsey for Marshall has been able to give you 20 points, 5 boards, 4 assists. Problem is, Marshall just cannot shoot from 3-point range. Kinsey been shooting right around 20% from distance. Marshall as a whole, 27.5%. They turned the ball for 13.5 times per game, which, considering their tempo, is actually not too bad. This is a Marshall team that they are turning down for absolutely nobody at this point. They rank in the top 30 with regards to possessions per game, so they're a team that they are certainly willing to gun it. And you do have Obiana on Chile Killian, who's been able to do a great job down low. 
for this Marshall team. 13 points, 7 boards, 3.2 blocks per contest, but when it comes to just being able to get production outside of your main three, these two, along with Andrew Taylor, is able to give you 14 points, 4.5 assists, 5.5 rebounds per game. It just has not been there. Meanwhile, for UTEP, you've got other guys that are able to come through, like uh, Jaden Satterfield, who's been able to give you 7.5 points per game. He's shooting now 48% from three-point range. Keontae Kennedy has been out since Christmas, so that earth has seemed a little bit, but Jamal Bianimi has been right there with 15.5 points, 3.7 boards, 3.7 assists per game. Even someone like a Mr. Hollins winds coming in from Oregon State has been solid. Alfred Hollins has been able to give you right around three and a half rebounds per game, five plus in the last two games, seven plus points in each of the last three. So UTEP getting good contributions. I think that they should be able to get the job done against a partial team that I think that they're going to be able to get their tempo in this game. Set this total at 150 and a half. I'm willing to go over, but there's no trusting them against the spread until we wind up seeing signs. Otherwise, willing to lay up to six and a half here with UTEP to go along with that. Over 857, 858 on the banging board. Boise State is going to be playing us the Colorado State. Colorado State is finding themselves as a two and a half point underdog in your on this game is 130 and a half. I wound up setting Colorado State as a one and a half point favorite. I'm willing to take them on the money line with Boise State. I think that their free throw shooting is really going to be costing them in this game. I am surprised that it has not cost them more games than it has already this year as you take a look at Boise State. They do a lot of things very well. Now you've got four guys that are averaging at least 10 points per game. Tyson DeGenard has been able to come on strong throughout the season. He, along with Emmanuel Ecott, both shoot about 41% from three-point range. They combined to be able to give you about 21.5 points per game and seven rebounds per game. Then you've got Marcus Shaver Jr. He shoots 35% from distance, 12.5 points per game. Abu Kiyab, your main score, 14 points, six boards per game. And then Malade and Armas, say will give you eight and a half boards per game, but with Boise State, 63.2% at the free fly. And they only generate right around five and a half steals per game. Then you take a look at Colorado State, one of the most efficient offenses in all of college basketball. In terms of turnovers on a per possession basis, they are terrific. And David Roddy, he's able to get rowdy. 19 and a half points, seven and a half boards, a little bit over three assists, shooting 49% from three-point range overall. In true road games, 65.5% from three with 22 points per game. That's pretty darn solid. John Jay. They will give you 10.5 points for Yantas. He shoots 46% from three-point range. Isaiah Stevens makes 89% of his free throws. Five assists of 1.5 turnovers per game. Now, you don't necessarily have a ton of rebounding when it comes to the Colorado State team outside of Roddy. You got one other guy that gives you more than three and a half rebounds per game in Chandler Jacobs, giving you five and a half points, 4.2 rebounds per game. But I do think that you're going to be able to have some of these other pieces like a Deshaun Thomas be able to step up. Thomas, three and a half boards. He shoots 40% from three-point range. Good versatility as a six foot nine stretch player. He's been a little bit of an afterthought recently, but saw some run in that Fresno State game. I like what I saw out of him there. And for Boise State, once again, Free throw shooting, I think, is really going to be costly. Colorado State, they do rank outside the top 225 with regards to possessions per game, but they are one of the most efficient teams in all of college basketball. I do think that they are going to be able to do just enough in a game that is going to be very tight, involving late game following, to be able to push this total over and get the W. So, looking at Colorado State on the money line, set this total at 131.5, so going to be going over as well. This is the last game on the normal Las Vegas betting board before we hit our lone extra game in 59-860. Loyal of Chicago is going to be playing us in Northern Iowa. Northern Iowa is between a 7.5 and an 8-point underdog. Draw this game is between 133.5 and 135. 
Well, I'm saying my total at 133.5, mostly seeing 134.5 and, and a 135, so I'm going to be diving under with Northern Iowa. This is a team that is playing significantly faster this year than they have in the past for Northern Iowa. 162nd in the country with regards to possessions per game. Loyal Chicago still playing slow, but even they have risen up a little bit more, but both of these teams still very efficient on defense. I think it's going to be able to keep Northern Iowa at bay. I'm going to take anything of 7.5 or more with them. It is the fact that I think that they're going to be able to do a solid job on the glass. The big trepidation I've got with Loyal Chicago is that you don't have a single guy on this roster that gives you more than 4.7 rebounds per game, and that'd be Mr. Lucas Williamson. He's been tremendous. 13.5 points, 4.7 rebounds, shoots 42% per three at home. That three-point shooting percentage, that goes to more like 45.5%, but when it comes to Northern Iowa, the way that you want to hit this team is by being able to overwhelm them down low, and having Nate Hesse and Trey Barrow both give you at least five rebounds per game means that they've actually got a little bit of an edge in this game. Hesse has been able to give you right around a seal per contest along with Barrow. Both of these guys shoot between 38 and 39% for three-point range. A.J. Green, just a walking bucket for this Northern Iowa team. 18.5 points, 3.5 boards, 90% free throw shooter, 37% three-point shooter. Northern Iowa's collective. They shoot 78.5%, the charity stripe, 35% from three-point range. You've been able to get some good contributions out of someone like a Bowen Bourne, who wound up having a very rough start to the year. But you take a look at the way that he's been able to come on recently, at least seven points in each of the last five games. Last year shot 35% from three with 11.5 points per game as a true freshman. So him being able to rise up has been big. And then Noah Carter, I think, is going to be an X factor with his 14 points per game. A guy that in true road games actually shoots a little bit better from three-point range for Loyal Chicago. Certainly a team that has very good pieces. Braden Norris is able to give you four assists per game. He's a guy that has been able to chuck in their 10 points. Shoots 43% from three. And for this Loyal Chicago team, they shoot as collective 38% from three-point range. Good team facilitation. But I just once again go back to it. The fact that they don't do a great job on the glass. You've got guys like Ahir Aguak along with Marquise Kennedy. They combine for 16.5 points, 8 boards per game. That's solid, but... I just have my question marks with Loyal Chicago, and I think that someone like an A.J. Green is going to be able to keep Northern Iowa in the game. Set this line at 7.5, so 7.5 or more going to be taking the points with Northern Iowa. Semi-total 133.5 as well, so diving under. Now we get our extra game. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus. 306-091, 306-092. Sonny Brook hits the red face off against Maine. Maine is going to hope to not get Maine as a 7-point underdog. Dolan's Game opened up at 140, now seeing it at a 139, and I set my total at 127. You've got a main team that they are certainly not pushing the tempo here. They rank in the bottom 50 with regards to points scored on a per possession basis, and they're 318th in the country in terms of possessions per game. Sony Brook is a team that's a little bit faster, but I mean, even they are right around 200th with regards to possessions per game. It is a spot at which I wound up saying Sony Brook as an 8.5 point favorite, so I'm going to be willing to lay it here. Sony Brook just has too many pieces to not be able to get the job done. You wind up bringing in Leal Jenkins from Fairley Dickinson, and he has been able to do a terrific job with his backcourt, being able to give you a little bit under 13.5 points per game. Shoots 37% from three-point range, two steals per game. It's a Sony Brook team as a collective. They generate 7.5 steals per contest. They shoot 76% at the free line. Anthony Roberts, 14.5 points, four boards per game. You do get Takai Green being able to do a great job as a Swiss Army Knife guy. Right around 12 points, 7.5 boards, ships in there a little bit over a steal per game. And then take a look at Maine, and it's really Vukasa Mazik 
who has been doing it all for this team, leads the team in total points, rebounds, and assists with 9.7 points, 4 boards, 3 assists per game, but should be able to help out Maine, especially on the defensive end, is that now you've got Stefan Ingo back in the fold. He's been able to give the team 8 points, 5.5 boards per game last year. Actually averaged 8.5 rebounds per game, has been dealing with a couple of ailments, which is why he's been a tad bit more limited in these games, but for Maine, it's a team that they shoot 31% from 3, 71% of the charity stripe, 13 turnovers per game, despite being so slow. I do think that this total is just a little bit out of whack. I'm looking at the under, and with Sony Brook willing to lay up to 8.5, so going to be laying the points, and that will wrap things up for the Sunday edition of Coast to Coast Hoops, now part of the VEASAN Family Podcast. Big thanks to our man, Blake Lovell, for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Hoops, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, one of two ways we all fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at JarrisCordy1. Keep in mind, letters CM. They mean does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline, and the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated, and then from there, you're able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. Find that five-star review coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season, which means I'll be coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.